Knock High. Welcome to Knock Knock High with the Glockham Fleckens. I'm Dr. Glockham Flecken, also known as Will Flannery and my on my uh, driver's license. I am Kristen Flannery, um, also known as Lady Glockham Flecken, not on my driver's license. No, it says Kristen. No, uh, we're we're excited for today's episode. This is yes. oh, this is gonna it's be a great. fun one. It's fun, but uh, you have some exciting news. I do. To share. Yeah. So, um, so you know, you have for. I can't imagine that people listening to this don't know this, but just in case, you have, um, you know, your your YouTube persona of Dr. Glockenflecken and TikTok and just all the places that it is, and it's gotten rather large mm-hmm. over over the years, um, sort of like your ego. And um, <laughs> that, that is not true. <laughs> Do I look like a general surgeon to you? I'm an ophthalmologist. Come on, okay. I don't have an ego. It's true. Okay, or maybe but, just a little one. Um. Yeah, so it's gotten big enough that like it's taking up a lot of our time, yeah. and especially like in the evenings and on weekends when I would rather be doing other things. So I'm dra- you're saying I'm dragging you into all of this? Yeah. So that... I've I have it's true quit my day job. I have left my day job and um, I'm doing Glockham Flecken full time now, and it's just ridiculous that when people ask me. <laughs> What, what is do? this job? <laughs> First working. of all, I have to say that that is the name of the company. Oh, I'm, think... I'm working at Glockenflecken LLC. I, I founded and, and own Glockenflecken LLC. That's really embarrassing. So thank you. Probably for, leads to more questions. For that. Yes. So, oh, okay. What kind of a company is that? Well, <laughs> um... Okay, if I knew it would turn into this, I maybe I'd have chosen a different name. I don't know. I feel like I'm wishing you had at this point. I mean, it's too late now. That ship has sailed. It but, yeah, but it is true. a little... I mean, I guess it's on brand. It's a little ridiculous. <laughs> and You never thought you'd be working um, for a, a company that was no. built on on uh, costumes and no, TikTok videos. No, of like my children's dress-up toys <laughs> that that yeah. is now how i earn a living well i'm I'm so glad you do though it's because I, I couldn't leave it to you i couldn't trust you with all of these important details of running this business now so um yeah i i didn't yeah. i didn't trust that you were going to be able to, to handle that yourself i had to jump in and make sure that it all gets done correctly are you saying you're going to be like taking over everything well i did found it and i i yeah. do own it that's so. true I, I'm kind of secondary at this. Point. You're I'm just, just the pretty face. I'm the, you know, you heard it first just... here, folks. I am the pretty face of this operation. <laughs> all right. Have you seen the neurologist? I don't know about. Okay, that. you're just the face. I'm the face. I'm the brain. Whether or not it's it. it's pretty, that that can be up to you. Let us know in the comments. All right. It, who's the? Is my face? Is it pretty? Is it a pretty face or is it just a face? Just I don't know. Face. But I, I'm so glad. Like this is going to be great. Um. Uh. Just to be able to grow this thing. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited. About it. I think it'll let us do more things. Like this podcast is one great yeah. example. And you're much more organized than me. It's true. I need help with that. It's, yes. It's rough out there. Uh. In my brain and in just in our home. the space around me. Yes. Uh, I am somewhat uh of a whirlwind. Yeah. Of non-organized activity. So I'm I'm t- taking care of all of that, and I'm coming up with all the good ideas. <laughs> the bad ones you are go. yours, but all right. Well, that's enough of that. Let's uh, let's get to today's guest. Uh, we have Dr. Rana Oddish. We're really yes. pumped about this one. Uh, so big Rana, fan of her yes. as a physician, as a writer, and just as a human being. She is 
She is a pulmonary. A little and gold nugget. She is a pulmonary and critical care physician in Detroit and the author of an amazing book called In Shock. Yes. And that book is really um, important to me. And I totally recommend it to everybody to check out. Um, but especially if you've had critical illness in your life or in your family, um, it's a really, really good um story about about her story really and she mentions in the episode she's died three times um that's not an exaggeration that is true fact and um she tells her story from the perspective of both a physician and a patient and it's super interesting even if you haven't had critical illness in your in your life um it's just a really remarkable perspective to have so and we had a great great conversation lots of good stories so let's get to it all right here's rana oddish All right, Rana, thank you for joining us. It's so good to finally get a chance to talk to you and see you. This is great. Thank you for being here. I'm thrilled to be with you both. I've been so excited about this one. Me too. uh, Waiting and waiting. Rana, uh, we actually go back a few years, you know, in in getting ready for to to record with you. You know, I actually went back on Twitter. Oh, my goodness. uh, Found the receipts. I found. Our the first before inter- times. <laughs> <laughs> this was back in uh, twenty, like early twenty nineteen. Um, wow. We uh, we interacted with each other. You mind if I can I can I tell you what we talked tell about? Tell me everything. Yes, um, this is great. Actually, it was a story that uh, is still probably one of the funnier things that I have have ever read on Twitter. Uh, it was actually a couple stories, and then I interacted with you because I love them so much. So this um, is her tweet. This is her tweet. This okay. is Rana. Rana Oddish, MD, in case you're, you're interested. Very, very funny. Um, so here, here it goes. I once hit my head on a fire alarm sticking, out of, the, <laughs> sticking out of the wall. She knows where this is going. I once hit my head on a fire alarm sticking out of the wall while teaching a class. The students didn't notice. It was in the back of the room. So I called their attention to demonstrate what had just happened because it was funny, but did it so much harder the second time that I knocked myself out cold. Amazing. (laughs) My poor students. Imagine your teacher. This was an SAT prep class I was teaching at U of M. And I said, you guys, you missed it. I was just walking back here and I whacked my head. And just as I said it, I knocked myself out. And I'm sure they were like, what is wrong with you? What ha- so these were all you said this is a SAT prep. So these are all high school students. Yeah. What what happened then? Well, what did well, you do? I went, I went onto the floor, Will, and laid <laughs> there, you for making her spell that out. <laughs> oh man, who helped you? What was the first oh, thing I, you remember when you woke up? They were sixteen-year-old boys. They <laughs> yeah. sat there and stared and at me. Stared. Exactly. Yeah. No one did anything. I think someone pushed their backpack closer to the chairs because they thought maybe I had tripped on their backpack, but it was all <laughs> very like. I just, I love it. It's like, so no one helped and you eventually woke up, you stood up and you're like, okay, so the Pythagorean theorem. <laughs> so back to class. So let's keep going. All right. So that oh was, my that was the first, and I think, I think we were, we were talking, I was, I was like responding to you or whatever. And then, um, an, another uh, story came up. Uh, this is perhaps even better. Oh, uh, I once dropped a hand blender oh, and yeah. caught it. At the blade end with my left hand safely, then promptly turned it on with my right hand. (laughs) 
macerating my left index finger. I held it together with rubber bands in lieu of stitches. Oh my god! I remember calling my boyfriend at the time and being like, hey, can you stop at the CVS and grab some rubber bands? He's like, what do you need rubber bands for like so urgently? I'm like, oh, I just, I have to put my finger together. And he's like, you're in med school and rubber bands is your yeah. go-to i'm like and yep. you're sending him to cvs of all yeah. places like there's other supplies there that may have been more right? useful no i it was is, has I this been a thing you with star. you for for I, most of your life i am prone to self-injury you know gravity works and mm-hmm. i'm small so i have a low center of gravity so i'm frequently pulled to the ground and there are lots of sharp objects but um, I have passed this yeah. on to my son. Oh boy. So he, when he split his finger, his cousin slammed it in the door and we had to take him to the ER for stitches. They gave him intranasal fentanyl and he was immediately high. So he was a high five-year-old and the orthopedic surgeon came to look at it and he was examining his finger and Walt said, do you want to see what it used to look like? Cause I brought an example and he uh, held up the non-injured pinky finger. And the surgeon was like, is he for real? I'm like, he's high. You gave him fentanyl. <laughs> like, this is what you can expect. Uh-huh. I don't know. That does seem, though, from the other stories you've told about Walt, it seems like that was an early indicator of <laughs> his sense of humor. Some people are just very prone to accidents, though. Yeah, I'm you're, one of them. You're that way. Yep. Mm-hmm. She's I never, like, turned a blender on while she was holding on to it. No. But, Give it you know, time. Everybody. I did pierce my own tongue once, though, no. with my teeth. No. Yeah, because I, I was a gymnast when I was younger, and I fell one time and oh. bit my tongue, and it went all the way through. That sounds so. very painful. That's very uh, – that would be – awful yeah it didn't Ugh. it wasn't my favorite time for sure but you, i at least well that was did gymnastics. you keep doing gymnastics yeah after I did. That? yeah yeah for like a decade <laughs> okay all right that's good didn't Just throw you off years. your game yeah. <laughs> um okay so rana there's one more tell me one more t- twitter sort of thing actually i don't know the details of this one because it was just like an offhanded comment as if like this is a normal thing that happens <laughs> to people um and so I, I i tweeted something this was now yeah this is back october and of 2019 um you know there was a, a tiktok trend that 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 was happening uh actually this must have been like the very beginnings of tiktok because this is actually before i was even on tiktok i saw this headline that said new tiktok challenge asks users to place bag of bleach near eye. Okay. I have no idea what this is. All right. But this was obviously enough enough to make it into to newsweek. And, and so I said, okay, obviously this is a terrible idea, uh, perhaps the worst idea. Uh, but now I have an excuse to talk about chemical burns to the eyes. And so I did like a whole like thread on it. And then you responded to me. You said, wow, I had no idea how on trend I was when I splashed bleach in my eye. So I remember Would you care this. to elaborate? Did on I this? post the picture? Because there was no. a picture. Okay, I'll find no, it and I'll send it picture. to you. It was horrifying. So it was just stupidity. I was pulling the jug of bleach down from the cabinet that's above the washing machine. And when I pulled it down, it like fell more than like setting it down and the cap was loose so it splashed up into my face it was as stupid as that and so then I'm standing there just covered in bleach and I was like 
initially concerned about what I was wearing. And then I realized I had bleach in my hair and I have black hair. And so then I got really worried and rinsed it out. But I didn't really get my eyes. Okay. Oh, good. Oh, good. good. I well, saved yeah. the perfect organ. That, Don't that's, worry. The, mo- the most important <laughs> organ. Yes. Actually, you know, bleach is, is – there's a lot worse things actually to get in your eye than bleach, to be honest. What? So. Yeah, it's the it's the, the acidic. I believe bleach is an acid. I I think it's been a long time since I've thought about the, like the chemical structures of these things. But like sodium hydroxide, like the basic things are infinitely worse for your eyes. See, I always find a way to incorporate ophthalmology into every one of these recordings, so that you know I want I would because obviously ophthalmology is the most important part of medicine. So I, I'm sure you can agree with this. Imagine how fun it is to live with him. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Um, so anyway, you know, everybody should follow uh, Rana uh, on Twitter because you never know when you're going to get a story about someone who's clearly having problems just not injuring themselves. <laughs> and so it's um, <laughs> great. So um, uh, but obvi- so you are a critical care physician and um, you've also written a book that we both really love. Uh, and uh, my question is, like, how do how do you do that? Like, how do you, <laughs> writing a book, it just seems really hard. And like, and being a critical care doctor yeah. also seems really hard. That's like two hard things. I and were you doing these? Just, the, she's a superior well, human being. Uh, well, obviously. Uh, well, uh, hold on. Let's hold on. She did macerate <laughs> her own finger in a blender. Well, look, okay. everybody's got to have something. She's she's so good at doing all these other things that that is the price she pays. I'm so and glad as, you guys as... do this together. It's such a nice balance of like <laughs> insult and compliment. I love it. But as someone who's, who's you know, trying to do two things like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, social media stuff and being a doctor, how did, did you do those? Like, were you practicing when you wrote that yeah. book? Yeah, it, they were um, concurrent. I would usually write, like I wake up earlier than anyone in my house. The boys will sleep until far later. So if I got up at five, I could get a few hours of work in and then I'd send them off on errands that I had manufactured just to artificially keep them busy um, wild goose chases for ingredients Taking and things notes. that I had no plans to make. Yeah, take and, notes, everybody. This is great stuff. Right? Like, buy an alpaca. Um, <laughs> and they would go, and it would take most of the day for them to find out that you needed permits to buy an alpaca. And by that time, I'd written enough. And then the next day, on Sunday morning, I would just revise what I had written. And that was on weekends where I wasn't rounding. On weekends where I rounded, I didn't write at all. But that yeah. way I could get in a good, you know, 10, 12 hours of writing a week. And I neglected plenty of things. I didn't do a lot. Let's talk about other that. Yeah. That. What did you neglect? Because we never talk about that. And yeah. especially for women, like we're just kind of expected to make it all happen somehow. What falls by no, the wayside. For sure. Yeah. Like I intentionally neglected cleaning and laundry and grocery shopping and probably sacrificed seeing some friends and phone conversations that I would have liked to have. It was just like, get the work done and have time for writing. And it turns out if other people, you know, don't have clean clothes, they will eventually do the laundry themselves. (laughs) What? I know. Follow me for more tips. (laughs) that work for like dishes and everything else too yeah how far do you have to take how far, this? Yeah, how far does it go what, what kind of disrepair was your life in <laughs> Randy was point? wonderfully supportive honestly he yeah. just he 
also wanted me to do this. And so I think he saw it as shared work. And the piece of the work that I could do was the writing. And the piece of the work that he could do was to support it by giving me those those hours. And you were, what part of your career were you, what year was it when you wrote In Shock? It was, I was well into being a senior staff physician. So I was probably eight okay. years out of fellowship. Gotcha. And this was, um, and so I'm just comparing, you know, what life in the hospital and practicing critical care medicine was like then versus like, you know, starting in 2020 when, you know, the pandemic hit. Could you imagine writing a book now with the pressures of your job as they are? It, you know, everything's changed in so many ways. Yeah. And the interesting thing is, I think so many more people have the same experience of critical illness and post-COVID, you know, syndrome. What I was explaining then felt like something that most people would never get to experience. So it felt really mm -hmm. urgent. And now it's like a lot of people have had this. So I don't know that an individual experience would have felt the same to me um, mm -hmm. in terms of importance of getting it down. I feel like our communal awareness now is something we need to harness and kind of tap into. Yeah. So I'm hearing that you are planning in your mind in shock too. Ha! <laughs> I love your optimism. It's funny because after that book came out and people would be like, are you going to write a second book? I'd be like, you know, I died three times, had eight major surgeries, five ICU admissions. I can't imagine what would have to happen for me to feel like I had enough material for a second book. And then the pandemic happened. And then I had a new cancer diagnosis. And I'm like, you guys, like, I wasn't serious. Like, I don't actually want more material. Right. We're good. <laughs> you could have stretched it out into a series, you know? You think? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like, the, after the second time you died, you could, like, leave it as a cliffhanger. Find ah. out if I survived the third time. Choose your yeah. own adventure. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, um, tell us, uh, you know, I'm sure you brought some stories with you from your time uh, you know, either in training or as a critical care physician, you know, because I'm sure that there's a, a lot of things that happen that uh, you, know, you never expected to happen and were kind of interesting. I feel like there must be a lot of really bizarre things you have yeah. to do as a critical care physician. Oh, always. What category of story are you interested in? Do you want one Give where I embarrass myself? Yes, that's what I'm that's what I'm looking for. Let's oh. see, because we're already, I mean, we've, we've set the bar kind of high already That's with embarrassing true. yourself. I was say, and so I, I, no, I would love to see where you can go from here. We haven't even started. <laughs> um, we're going to, we're going to do time travel back to when I was uh, a resident in New York in training. And uh, I was a intern actually in the cardio ICU and our job as interns at that time was truly to do post cath checks. Like that was what we did. And there was a schedule and you would check the groin and then you would recheck the groin and you would mark if there was a hematoma or if you were worried about a pseudo aneurysm, like that was your job. You lived in the groins. And so <laughs> that's the quote for this episode, <laughs> living in the groins. So I, I remember checking on this patient 
and feeling something in his groin that felt very circular, a little bit how I would think an aneurysm would feel, right? It was kind of like squishy, like it felt like there was a lumen. And so I I noted the circumference, which was very circular, and how it felt. And I thought, okay, I'll go back and I'll check it in an hour. And I, I went back and I did the same sort of palpating that I'd been taught. I, of course, tried to listen for Rui um, because I was going for extra credit points. And I noticed mm-hmm. as I was doing this that the patient was getting aroused. It was a male patient. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, there must be something wrong with my technique. I will ask my resident how they palpate groins and maybe mine is like too seductive, like my groin palpating technique, right? This was your your thought process as yeah. an intern about why, <laughs> why, this, why this might be happening. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it, it, I'll, I'll tell you both pieces of it. The fact that my resident looked at me like I had two heads and then took me back um, to the patient's room to show him what I was talking about and examine the patient himself. And what we found out then was that the patient actually had um, an implantable penis pump. And what I'd been pressing on was the inflation valve that would create an erection for the patient without realizing it. And that was pretty much why I went into pulmonary instead of cardiology, because that story (laughs) did not die. Um, they were probably still telling it somewhere now. So it feels oh good to have gosh. agency over my story and tell it myself. It sounds like your technique was exactly correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, I'm sure that was the feedback you got. Well, it's it good technique. I mean, did you did you even know that those devices existed at that point? Because I learned pretty late, I feel like, in my intern year that that was even a thing that you could get an implantable. This was not on my radar. And especially this one, because (laughs) there was like a release valve underneath that you had to connect something to. And so imagine this poor man came in for a calf. He didn't bring his penis pump release valve attachment with him to the hospital. So that was a fun urology consult that I got to call as well. I bet, see, that that actually brings up a point about, you know, people that get admitted to the hospital. Obviously, when you're admitted to the ICU, usually you don't know you're going to get admitted to the ICU, right? It's not really a plan ahead. So you don't, you don't like bring all the necessary equipment with you. No. And and I think about it for for, um, contact lenses. Like, I I would frequently. That was said Once with again, like a it lot of to, disdain underneath. Did bring, you taste that? <laughs> bringing it back to, to ophthalmology here because it must be brought back to ophthalmology. Um, you know, I would in, in residency in particular, you know, you'd, I'd get, you know, con, uh, ICU consults and um, fairly frequently I'd go and find that the patient had been there for, you know, a month or two and they still had contact lenses oh. in their eyes. And so, uh, uh, you know, it's because obviously when you get admitted, you didn't have time to, you know, take them out before something catastrophic happened to your health. So, uh, you know, that's, those are, that's tough. I think they, they're supposed to check. Do you check for contact lenses? I hope you do every single time, right? Every single time. 
our nurses are on it. They usually yeah. get to them before we ever do. If you leave it to doctors, it it probably wouldn't <laughs> yeah, be done wouldn't as well. Because they're the ones who also, like, you're in there screaming. And she's like, do you want me to put in his hearing aids? Because I've got them. And you're like, I didn't even think about that. Of course we need hearing aids. Yeah. It's probably yeah, part of the checklist. Yeah, nurses kind of are like gods. Yeah, they just keep everything running, I think, yeah. from what I can tell. Also, I'm sure your insurance company would have said, you know, why didn't you take your contact lenses out first? They would certainly oh, expect yeah. people well, to they, have planned ahead. They expect people to do a lot of things before they have a potentially life-threatening yeah. accident. Like a yeah. prior auth for the admission. Yeah, yeah. You know, make sure yeah. you just fall make into sure. a coma, yeah. be sure that your treating you know physician. That? Yes, the much- bill that we got for the resuscitation of our baby that had died because we didn't take time to enroll her in our insurance plan. That was probably my least Mm. favorite example of how insurance is toxic. Yeah, that's horrible. That's just like inhumane. As are you, do you feel like you're a little bit insulated from that whole process just in your day-to-day life uh, working in the hospital? Or are are you really involved in having to deal with a lot of that? Because I do pulmonary hypertension and all of our drugs are, you know, bankrupting healthcare because they're so expensive. <laughs> we have to get a lot of prior authorizations gotcha. to do anything. Is that on the outpatient side of things? Yeah. Okay. So you still do a lot of outpatient. I just Almost, assume you're. Yeah. Oh. Every oh, okay. day is a lot of pulmonary hypertension clinic. You got any, you got any fun stories from the clinic? Oh my goodness! <laughs> how long trying. do you? So you're you're uh, you're in clinic how many days a week? Usually three to four. Yeah. So I either am rounding or I have clinic. I don't generally do both. Um, but no, our our pulmonary hypertension patients are are quite sick, and yeah. keeping them alive is is really challenging sometimes. Well, you're good at it, though. Well, thanks. You've managed to stay alive, and you keep your patients alive. Yeah, that's the goal. <laughs> so I don't, I don't think you can uh, top the the story you just told about the, with the penis pump. That's well, she seems like she might disagree. That's, that's she's pretty. Got one in the. I don't know. I mean, well, we have to go back a little bit further. Oh, let's um, do it. <laughs> to when I was an undergrad. And, you know, pre-med and very much wanting to be a doctor and doing everything I could to try to position myself to get into medical school. Um, And I was taking this sort of advanced physics class because I thought that was a good idea, which it wasn't. And I didn't understand anything. And we had physics lab where we were learning about electrical currents. And my poor lab partner, there were these metal disks And the only thing I had to not do was press the pedal that would electrify the metal discs while he was touching them. And so what did I do? I pressed the pedal while he was touching the metal disc and I like literally electrocuted my (laughs) physics lab partner. And because I was pre-med, my first thought wasn't, is he okay? My first thought is, oh my God, I'm not going to get into medical school. (laughs) That is is the most pre-med reaction. It is the most pre-med thought I could have ever had. The poor kid. So he got sent to the infirmary 
like he had these burns, his hair was singed, and he oh had to gosh. tell people wow. that I electrocuted him. So I I nearly failed the lab. Nearly? Okay. Nearly <laughs> failed the lab. Oh, I'm glad and they passed you. I mean, that's, yeah. that's good. So was it an accident? Did you Absolutely. trip? How did that? Well, of course I, it was an accident. Have I don't you mean, heard like, this woman talk for the last 20 minutes? Person, but like... Did you just forget not to touch this is that? How did you trip on it? coordinated I am. No, this is literally like if I'm you tell me. I'm glad you're doing me... procedures on critically ill patients. <laughs> the fellows do all the procedures. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was definitely an accident. And to make up for it, when I turned 21, he came to my 21st birthday and he bought me the worst shot known to man. I don't know if you've heard of it. <laughs> It's called a cement mixer. So it's like Baileys and lemon juice and you take them separately. And when you put it in your mouth, it curdles. Yeah. And you did this? I feel like we're even. I didn't know. I wasn't a drinker. Someone bought me a shot. It's like, see how you like it. Exactly. That's a pretty good revenge plot. Like he had to wait that out. He had to plan that ahead of time. Pick the absolute worst possible experience for you for your joyous occasion. That's pretty good. You're a hundred percent even. Yeah. <laughs> I remember in, as an undergrad, my first, the first time I ever remember being like really sick was when I was I was a freshman and I got mono, and I got really bad mono. Like it was like my throat was so swollen. I'd never been in that much pain. And I remember going to the emergency room and, uh, you know, I was, it was probably like right at the beginning of college. And of course my mom, I was like, I called my mom. I was like, oh, what's going on? Like, I like this, this hurts so bad. Am I dying? <laughs> and, and, uh, um, I remember like the, the doctor coming in, he didn't do a great job, like explaining to me, like what was going on. Just kind of, it kind of blew me off a little bit. And I was, I was on the phone with my mom. The doctor was in there with like four med students, like, you know, talking to me. And I remember asking, uh, um, I was holding the phone up to my face. Again, I was like ridden with, with mono. And I was like, can you doc, can you, can you talk to my mom? Just tell her what's going on. And the look on that doctor's face when this kid who had all this mono was trying to give him a phone that he was he like just was talking no. into. <laughs> it's like, no. He got out of there so fast. It's like, I'm not and, touching uh, your disease phone. It's like, don't, no, I think we're good. You know, just, you got mono, you'll be Aww. all right. All right, go home. Don't play any contact sports. Which I didn't tell me why. I just I had to figure that, you know, why that was the case. But uh, You didn't man. think to like put it on speakerphone? You know, I, th I this is probably I probably had I feel like a, a that cell wasn't phone. A thing. Yeah. yeah, that was I probably had a cell phone, phone like yeah. three weeks at that point. I think yeah. I got one, I, just to show you how. I mean, we're we're getting older. Yeah, it's true. Uh, uh, he, uh, so that was probably my first experience with like a cell phone because I think I got one like when just, I, just for to college. Go to college yeah, yeah, I didn't have one. I didn't have one in high school. I don't know. I didn't either. Mm -mm. When did you get your first cell phone, Rana? Eight was after medical school really like i might have had one in med yeah. school but it was like the kind that you leave in your car and you're not you're not really yeah. using it's it like at attached all yeah, yeah. to your car yeah, yeah it wasn't and it's like a real. i was certainly old. one of i was one of the first people like i didn't get a smartphone till residency 
Yeah, like I was, yeah, we got it at the same time, yeah. so we've only had smartphones for like. I was, I, we were slow. We were slow on the takeoff. Yeah. yeah, you yeah, didn't but. miss anything. <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, you know what? Let's take a break, um, and we're gonna come back, and we're gonna play a little game uh, that I oh, call. Dear. Uh, well, I'll tell you I'll, after the break. I'll tell you what it's called and, and how what we're gonna do. So we'll be right back with Rana Oddish. Big thank you to all our fans and listeners. Uh, spread the love. Tell everyone about this podcast. Share it. Leave a rating and a review. Be honest. Let us know what you think. We want to hear from you. Uh, later today, we're gonna share some stories of our own and also um, yours. And we want to hear your stories. Share yours at knockknockhigh at human-content.com. Uh, we also have a Patreon. All right, come hang out with other members of the Knock Knock High community. Early episode access. Check out bonus episodes, including a monthly show we're doing uh, called The Monthly Eye Exam, where we react to medical TV shows and movie clips. Um, so check that out. Yeah, right. lots of fun. Exclusive stuff. All right, now let's get back to Dr. Rana Oddish. All right, and we are back. And okay, Rana, here's what we're going to do. We're going to play a game that I call the ICU replacements. Okay. Now, during the pandemic, obviously, you know, there were stories about a lot of doctors who were redeployed to different parts of the hospital, right? Yes. Did you experience that? Oh, like in yes. your department? Yeah. You had different people coming we in and helping out? Absolutely utilizing yeah. all available people in any way we could. Okay. Well, this is what we're going to do. Um, just imagine a world, uh, instead of like the pandemic, maybe uh, like the entire, um, all the staff, except for you, decided to go like on a cruise. And um, they all got norovirus. And they're, they're like marooned in the Caribbean and they can't come back to work. And so um, now all of a sudden it's just you, okay? And now you okay. need a new team. You need a new team in the ICU. You have, you have nobody. You're, you're alone. You may, you may you have like a nurse, all right? You may, maybe have a med student, but you need, you need help, okay? So here's what we're going to do. It. I'm going to give you some options. These are different doctors that might be helpful, might not be helpful. I want you to tell me how helpful they'd be on a scale from one to 10. Oh, okay? dear. All right. And, and this is okay. Like, this is not meant to offend anybody. All right. This is just, you know, how helpful you'd be to a critical care doctor taking care of critical care patients. Okay. Uh, and so uh, the first one I present to you is a cardiologist. Oh, huge fan. Love mm -hmm. it. We can put swans in. They'll do echoes on all of my intubated patients. All They'll of them, titrate meds. Like literally nine out of ten. Awesome. Okay. So very helpful. Um, uh, we'll, we'll go to the cardiologist um, arch nemesis. How about the nephrologist? Need them desperately. Yeah. They can do all the dialysis and electrolyte derangement management. That's super helpful. Um, they care about volume. I love that about them. They're very anti-salt, which I am too. So like solid nine out of 10. Do you, uh, would you try to separate the cardiologist from the nephrologist? Have you seen those arguments <laughs> or is that just something I made up in my mind? Oh no, absolutely. I... They can't have the same patients. They have to have separate sides and all of the volume you overloaded like, patients are on one the side. ICU. A hundred percent, but, <laughs> but they can be 
in the same space, just not talking. Okay. okay. All right. So you'd, you'd be the moderator between the two. Okay. But, but very useful. All right. So that's, you got a good team so far. This is great. All right. All right. How about the ophthalmologist? What if so, I come to you and say, listen, listen, there's, I'm sorry. There's nobody else. All right. We, we, we have an ophthalmologist uh, who we haven't told them yet that they're going to be working in the ICU, but um, this is what we have. What do you think? So I had an ophthalmology intern this month named Jackie Hamadi, who was literally the best doctor I've ever had. She diagnosed uh, literally things that attending physicians could not diagnose. So I am so pro-ophthalmologist right now <laughs> that she yeah. had a patient with leprosy, Whoa. with varicella. Like she could cover all the ID stuff at this point and I would have no fears. So also the fungemia eye exams, uh-huh. I need her um, the, nine, out dilated 10, exams. Yeah. nine out okay. of 10. No, oh, no. For, this is going to go to his head, well, Rana. No, no, you no. To, no oh, I, I, you're making okay. my life miserable. You have to touch, <laughs> just, take him down a just notch. To, just to let everyone know that an ophthalmologist would be just as useful as a cardiologist uh, in the ICU. <laughs> no, I See, there's a there's a clear distinction here, all right? this You said Only this was an intern? This was an intern, my right? My favorite ophthalmologist would be the 9 out of 10, yeah. You're talking, but this was an intern. Yeah, a transitional okay. year. All right. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. That's because well, they're still they smart. They still know things. They still know everything. And yeah, they still so... know body medicine, Rana. Yes, all of it. All right? I love You know them. how much I know? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> but you have I, fancy lasers. Useless. Do you have fancy lasers? I, yeah, what good is that to you? Uh, I can't. <laughs> uh, you can't. You can't put in a central catheter with a laser, Rana. Uh, I don't so think. Can you? I don't know. Every time. Every time I tell Randy I need to buy more blazers, he thinks I say lasers. And he's like, really? You still need more lasers at work? Don't you have enough? And I'm like, I don't have any lasers. <laughs> what are you talking about? What does he about? think you're Why? doing at work every day? I don't know if he okay? admires me, so I'm not going to burst it. I'm like, yep, lasers yeah, all day. Okay, so ophthalmology intern, 9 out of 10, ophthalmology totally. private practice attending slash com- uh, ooh, comedian, ooh. social media personality, we'll say 1 out of 10. You could take the contacts out. Okay, what's that? You can take out the contacts. I'll, I'll take the contacts out, yeah. Fungemia, okay. you guys, it's huge. I could huge. do that. Yeah. I could do that. Although, you know, there, there's uh, the ophthalmology community is pushing back a little bit on whether or not uh, those exams are necessary. That is a controversy I am uninterested mm-hmm. in, I have to tell you. <laughs> Let's move on. Um, okay, so uh, here's the next one. All right, how about the general surgeon? Oh, what do you think? You got a general Can surgeon I tell on you your my team. My favorite consult I ever called a general surgeon for. Of course, please do. The patient seemed to have terrible small bowel obstruction, where their their abdomen was so tense and so distended. And we called them, and they came, and they said. Unfortunately, when you guys placed a rectal tube, you glued his rectum shut. And so we've unglued it now, and that's alleviated the obstruction. And I wanted to melt into the floor because of all the things a surgeon can tell you that are embarrassing. I think you glued the patient's rectum shut (laughs) is right up there. 
man. So this anyway, is an easy fix. That was an easy fix. Yeah, they, that's they one got of those. You but like it. when you call the IT department, right? If you have an office job, and they're like, "Um, did you restart?" It's your exactly computer? Or like, like did that. you plug to, it in? To make you <laughs> feel better, though, to make you feel better, I promise you that surgeon was probably totally fine with it because if you're gonna get a consult, like, isn't it nice that it's you know a, a simple fix? I don't know. Here's the problem: I've had so much surgery in my own hospital that these people know me so (laughs) (laughs) not just as a physician but as a patient so my my mentor who didn't have perfect english would see these surgeons in the hospital and would yell out in his hispanic accent has he been inside of you like in the line for coffee in the cafeteria. And I'd be like, that's not how we say that. We don't say, has he been inside of you? We say, is that a surgeon who has operated on you? It's a disaster. But he's at Mayo now, hopefully tormenting someone else. Oh, man. How do you get through... I, your yeah, life, right? I don't know. This is I love the direction this podcast is going in. It's fantastic. I have like such vicarious embarrassment. Oh, it's wonderful. That's I my love life. It. My life. <laughs> I'm glad um, you have so a sense I of love surgeons. It. They come, they unglue rectums for me, okay. they go inside of me, they get an eight out of ten. Eight out of ten. There you go. Okay, I got a couple more. Got a couple more. Um the only person that we have to help you today uh, is Uh-oh. my my loyal scribe, Jonathan. Oh, Jonathan. Yep. Yep. Jonathan, a totally real person uh, who just happens to look like me. But uh, yeah. you get a scribe. Could you use a scribe? What do you think? So, yes, I would very happily have someone follow me around and write down everything I say. That sounds wonderful. Um <laughs> I would take Jonathan any day. Can you send him now? Okay, right. <laughs> Just not as useful on the clinical. He couldn't probably do, no. you know, some, you know, rounding and doing some procedures for you. Although I don't know, maybe he could learn. Maybe. But uh, so, what do you think? Maybe like a five for yeah. the for the for the uh, for the documentation aspect of I'll things. I'll take it. Well, and it's like, is this is this a is this a Jonathan or is this a non-Jonathan scribe? Like, I feel like Jonathan brings extra uh, because, qualities why, because to the Because he's position. magical? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. I feel like Jonathan could do anything. Jonathan is probably secretly, like, all the specialties. Mm, he like may a be. House yeah. Who doesn't talk. Yeah, that's right. All right. How about, how about a, um, how about a radiologist? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was... <laughs> It's like, oh, that's cute. Like they're so they have to get out of the dark. It's very bright. <laughs> oh, in you our feel units. like be, it would be mean to them to make like them. Like they'd need glasses to shield <laughs> their delicate retinas from the light. Um, the ophthalmologist I appreciate, can help with that. I appreciate you, you uh, having concern for the retinas. <laughs> I Thank do. You. I worry. You know, I would, I'd love to be able to show them the films and we could talk about it. And it would be lovely and I wouldn't have to walk down there. And so if they were there... Because you're doing a lot of you're doing a lot of imaging, imaging, right? Yeah. I mean, can you and can you transport critically care patients down to like MRI and CT? And I assume you can. Yeah, um, it's not always the best idea. Sometimes there are codes yeah. when you do, but you know, for the what most the, part. What if the radiologist came with a CT scanner up to the ooh, up to the ooh, ICU? Wouldn't that be nice? They'd be worth their weight in gold. Okay, so that would push them up to like a ten. 
probably. Totally. Yeah, that'd be great. And then uh, uh, one more. All right, we got, uh, how about a dermatologist? I know nothing about rashes and everyone has a rash. And sometimes it's leukocytoclastic vasculitis and sometimes it's they left their Crocs on too long and they have fungus. Oh no. And I literally don't know the difference. So if they could come, that would be wonderful. What leukocytoclastic yeah, vasculitis? She just dropped that as if anyone knows what that means. It's a real I certainly problem don't. I, when you don't sounds... know how to recognize it. <laughs> yeah, because it sounds bad. It sounds it's, really bad. Yeah. And and the thing is, yeah, like uh, dermatologists, they they can just look at a little tiny thing on the skin and be like, oh, this is you know some horrible thing that's happening inside the but body. But first, they translate it to Latin. So it's hmm. macular, right. papular, right? Like they, right, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. that I mean, intermediate step that makes it fancy. Exactly. Same thing with ophthalmology, right? You don't understand anything 100%. we put in a note. No, the notes, what is that? Like uh, what it, even is yeah. that? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's why I chose the name Glockenflecken. Like it's, <laughs> it's like, a, it's a real thing. They just have to feel important. And so they had to make everything sound like, a hundred times we do have a, there is a, Rosetta, a Rosetta stone for ophthalmology yeah for sure or at least there if is. there's not that there should be um it's just oh. an ego thing so so <laughs> yep so that's so that's your team all right I love it I'm yeah golden. this is gonna that's be your replacement great. team <laughs> you're gonna do awesome it will. um well that was thank you so much for being here tell us uh where we can find you what you're doing what are you working oh. on what are you doing um I I'm often on Twitter, despite the fact that it's turning into a cesspool of destruction. I can always be found mm-hmm. at the hospital, which is really where I live. Please, I... please don't try to find <laughs> no. Dr. Aldish no. at the hospital, either as a patient or as a fan. You don't I mean... want to find her there. And but... the funnest thing I'm doing is uh, getting to be the editor for our humanities little exhalation section in chest which someone on this podcast has submitted a piece to and it's not you um <laughs> it's guess me. who it is <laughs> yeah and i love reading those submissions so if people have had experiences that they really want to share that's a great place for it and how can they share that gosh there's like submissions you just go you find know. it yeah. just google it, google just it. Like, you can find it yeah. yeah just put it out there that's good that's can good. you talk a little bit about what exhalations is compared to you know maybe some yeah. of the other sections in the journal i feel like medicine's just kind of waking up to the fact that you know stories are so important and narrative medicine is just growing and our awareness of really valuing first-person narratives, not just of patients and providers, but also the family members of our patients. And so we really look for um, thoughtfully written pieces that show an aspect of healthcare that might not be immediately available to providers, that they might not have looked at in that way before, which is why I loved your piece so much. Oh, thanks. And then obviously everyone should check out your book in shock. Yes. Um, it's really a wonderful, wonderful story, wonderful book. And I know, uh, Kristen, you've, you really enjoyed reading it just with um, the experiences we've had as, you know, in the medical system. And so. Um, yeah. And I would say, you know, you mentioned you don't know how, how valuable an individual perspective would be at this point, but I think 
I think that it is still extremely Mm -hmm. valuable because if anything, there are just so many more individuals who have Mm -hmm. a similar experience. And even myself as not, not the patient, but the, the family member of the patient, um, I saw my own story reflected back so much in your story. And that's what it was one of the biggest pieces of healing that I found. It really helped me, you know, move along in my own journey because it just validates things, right? That like, okay, I'm not the only one that experienced, you know, maybe the specifics are different, but the general problems are pretty universal across the healthcare system. Yeah. Um, and so it's so nice to see somebody else that, you know, I mean, I hate to say it's so nice because it all comes no, from <laughs> from these horrible situations. Yeah. But to be able to see that, that you know, you're not imagining it, you're not alone in experiencing yeah. these kinds of things. So I think if anything, it's more relevant than ever after the pandemic. I appreciate um, that. And definitely everybody, you know, especially if you've um, had experiences with critical illness or, or family members with critical illness, I think you should definitely check it out. Yeah. It's a it's shitty shot. club to belong to, but it the is. only thing that would yeah. be worse is if you were alone. And so right. it's it's Maybe. nice in that way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Having something good come out of it, you know. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. It was a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you for doing a fun podcast. The world has been waiting. I'm so glad you are. (laughs) Thank you. Rana Oddish, MD on Twitter in particular. I love you there. Uh, And and so we will be back here in a a minute with some listener stories. Thank you again. All right, let's take a look at some of our favorite medical stories sent in by all of you, the listeners. I really like these stories. These are great today. So our first one is an anonymous story. Um, Okay, here it goes. As a third-year med student at an urban hospital in Detroit, my surgery rotation uh, was hands down the most memorable. I can recall one evening after hours retracting incorrectly during a parathyroidectomy. It's it's like in the neck, by the way. Okay. I explain something to you as we go. Um, And nearly suctioning the recurrent laryngeal nerve, which is would not. That doesn't sound good. Usually, you You only suction those alone. Usually, you only suction blood. You don't suction like nerves. That would probably Um, hurt. I was finally allowed to rest in between cases, so I quickly went down to the medical student call room that I had meticulously prepped before the start of my shift. I went through a checklist in my mind, no items on the floor, trash removed from the room, every object bathed in hand sanitizing foam. I excitedly peeled back the covers to my freshly made bed. Those rough paper thin sheets were calling my name, which is a really good explanation for what it's like in a call room, especially in that student call room. Mm-hmm. It's like kind of like it's a like prison the one ply, it's a one little ply bit, toilet paper, yeah, but for sheets. Ex- exactly. As I lifted the well worn sheets, I saw a flurry of movement seemingly in all directions. What seemed like an entire generation of cockroaches oh. scurried off my bed, my one bed, the only option. Needless to stay, say, I stayed awake that night in the preoperative lounge watching news reruns and infomercials. Oh, my gosh. Wow. That is the worst call room story oh, I've ever heard. That made my skin crawl. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> I hope the cockroaches are okay. No, I don't. <laughs> That's that's rough. That's oh, talk about a yeah. letdown. Like you're so I know. On those, so I mean it's it's been a while since I've like been awake all night, like in going to a call room. I haven't been in a call room in years, but that's true. The uh 
just that feeling of like finally getting to go and rest right. is such a good feeling. And yeah. so that letdown of all of a sudden your bed is full of bugs. <laughs> um, not ah. great. Not great. Okay. Thank, thank you for that story and for freaking Kristen out. Yeah. I'm going to have trouble sleeping tonight. I'm going to be checking. You're going to be checking our bed for cockroaches. <laughs> we have a little bit better than a call room That's true. situation true. going on. Okay. So uh, number two, uh, this is from Colette H., uh, the title is Why I'm Not a Nurse. One summer, I had a chance to work as an aide at a critical access medical center, uh, which is larger than a clinic, but smaller than a hospital. It was a three-month contract, mostly working with kids in the community. Towards the end, they offered to pay for my CNA training and a permanent position on the staff. As a trial, I went with an experienced home health RN, who happened by chance to be my mother, <laughs> to assist with some wound care. My mom is doing her super professional, dignified, respectful thing. She goes to clean the packing out of a wound, and I go weak in the knees. <laughs> I sat down on that poor patient's couch so fast, put my head between my knees, and fled for the car the second I was <laughs> steady enough. My mom was embarrassed. The patient was embarrassed. I declined the training and position. <laughs> Lord, even thinking about the things my mom does every day makes me want to hug her after spraying her with Lysol. <laughs> <laughs> that oh. that happens to a good number of med students as well. I'm yeah. sure any any part of, of medicine or in healthcare, because you gotta deal with bodily fluids, yeah. wounds, you know, the insides of Things bodies that are outside that should be inside. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I, I certainly know, uh, some of my classmates who, um, decided against a career in surgery because, you know, they yeah. passed out in the operating room. Right. It well, and, and most people decline a career in ophthalmology because of the same reason for That's eyeballs. That's true. Eyeballs. I have, I have made a number of patients, um, pass out. Uh, just by uh, like saying, okay, we're gonna do your eye exam now. Yeah, like it's it's a thing. I, like, one, I don't. I mean, I haven't passed out on you, but I hate. Yeah. Coming to see you at the clinic, you and all of your colleagues, like lovely people, <laughs> don't want them anywhere near my face. Okay, that's fair. I don't like. It's just. Ugh. Yeah, you know the eyeball so thing. So packing in a wound. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't blame. I you know I'm glad uh, that that uh, she realized it. At that point, it's good, right? And got it's to like to have an early check that experience. off your list. You know what? Nope, I'm not for me. I right. don't want to be part of that, and that's that's fine. You know. And God bless that mother. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. <laughs> Great stories. Thank you for those. Uh, send us your stories. We want to hear you. Um, knock knock. Hi at human contentcom <laughs> That was a great episode. That was great. Ron is great. She's she, so funny. She's really, really funny. She's got good comedic timing. She does. I, I, I loved uh, what she had to say. And then uh, she really is funny on Twitter. Like, I, she I enjoy, is. I enjoy I think, uh, like, her hearing her thoughts. Her family is. Like, she talks a little bit on Twitter about her family life as well as her professional life. And her son cracks me up the story she tells about him. He's amazing. Definitely worth a follow just for entertainment purposes. Absolutely. Um, and. Let's see. Anything else? What else should we talk about? Did we cover everything? Did you guys, I hope you guys liked that episode. Uh, we just uh, had a blast uh, talking with Rana. And um, uh, if you have ideas for who you want us to talk to, then let us know. Yeah. You know there's lots of ways to reach out to us. Uh, you can email us, knockknockhi at human-content.com. Uh, we are on YouTube, 
TikTok, Twitter. You can also hang out with us and our human content podcast family on Instagram and TikTok at human content pods. Thank you to all the listeners leaving wonderful feedback and awesome reviews. Uh, If you subscribe and comment on your favorite podcasting app or on YouTube, uh, we might give you a shout out. At the very least, I'd give you a Jonathan head nod. You may not hear it, but it's it's there. Um, Like, how about right now? Uh, When we announced we were doing this podcast, uh, one of the the people that, that follows me, Sarah H., said, best news I've gotten all day. So excited to enjoy more Glockenflecken content. Enthused head nod. Thank you for that. I'll give you a Jonathan head nod. That, that's that's not going to make any sense to people who are just listening, but it was a good one. Yeah. It was there. It was all right. All Five right. out of ten. So thank you for that. Um, our full video episodes are up every week on YouTube at D Glockenflecken. Um, and we have a Patreon. Go check out our Patreon. Tons of cool perks, bonus episodes where we react to medical shows and movies. Hang out with uh, the Knock Knock High member community. We're active there. We're responding. We're hanging out. Uh, Early ad-free episode access, interactive Q&A live stream events, much more. Lots of stuff that's going to be there. Uh, And uh, that's at patreon.com slash glockenflecken. Or you go to our website, glockenflecken.com. All the information is there. Thank you for listening. We're your hosts, Will and Kristen Flannery, a.k.a. The Glockenfleckens. Special thanks to our guests, Dr. Rana Oddish. Our ex- ex- executive producers are Will Flannery, Kristen Flannery, Aaron Corney, Rob Goldman, Shanti Brooke. Our editor and engineer is Jason Portizo. Our music is by Omar Benzvi. To learn more about our knock-knock highs, program disclaimer and ethics policies, submission verification and licensing terms, and HIPAA release terms. I'm getting better at saying that quickly. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you can go to glockandflecken.com or reach out to us at knockknockhigh at human-content.com with any questions, concerns, or fun medical jokes. Always need more jokes. Kristen told me recently that mine are getting stale. So please help me out. Knock Knock High is a human content production. Goodbye.